You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhusky Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. Later in the program, we have an excerpt from Bring It On, WFHB's Black Affairs program, regarding a recently passed anti-racism policy in the MCCSC school system. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. But first, your local headlines. At the Monroe County Community Justice Response Committee meeting, Care Not Cages member Nicole Siegel said she wants to see the committee make the current jail livable and up to constitutional standards. You know, my hope is that instead of doing anything towards building a new jail, you will have groups that are also focused on figuring out how the jail could be um, made livable, uh, constitutional, and acceptable um, by shrinking the population by looking at the ways that the reasons people are in there can be addressed more directly. And the thing that I'm most interested in understanding is whether the administrative hold for other counties has to do with a um, fee-for-service situation. Are we taking people from other counties because the other counties pay us? Or are we doing that for um, for a, a, a reason that has to do with something specific and unavoidable? It seems that it would be a very poor choice to build a new jail because we are housing people from other counties. Uh, so, And that has been, at times in some years, the greatest reason for incarceration in the Monroe County Jail. So I, I would like that uh, addressed. Director of Focus Initiatives, Justin Huerta, described his experience in the prison system for minor drug charges. He said that he doesn't believe locking people up is the answer. All I really had to say was uh, I am one of the people that is directly affected by building new jails. I did 15 years in prison altogether, off and on on the life installment plan, four years here, three years there, all for minor drug charges, nonviolent possessions and a dealing. Uh, Most drugs I've ever been caught with in my whole life is 10 grams, okay? Never once did the state say, maybe we should give this guy some type of drug treatment. The first answer was, we got to put him in prison. He got caught with this three grams, four grams of drugs, cocaine. We have to put him in prison. I did all that time there. Once I went to prison, it was different levels of trauma and brutality that I was exposed to on several different levels. I have seen what this happens firsthand. In 2020, I was released, and I'm not going to be long-winded. In 2020, I was released, and uh, I just, I said, I'm never going back. I don't know how to make it out here, so I'm just going to go to work 
and I'm going to come home. I'm going to hide from the world. I'm not coming out. I did that for a few months until I met the people at Focus Initiatives who were referred to me and reached out to me. And they began to show me levels of compassion and show me levels of, of care. And it really affected me because I didn't know these people. And they really showed me some level of, of human interaction from people who said, hey, you're a valuable human being. Once I was constantly reinforced with this message, different things began to happen for me. Different things began to happen in my life. And now three years later, which is like one of the longest times I've ever been released in the past 25 years. Three years later, I'm here, I'm doing strong. I don't have any desire to go back in any direction. And I'm only more determined and more focused than ever to go forward and continue to pass on the things that I have learned. I just wanted my voice to be heard here. And I know it represents a lot of different people that locking people up is not <laughs> the answer. It only compounds and multiplies trauma. Trauma happens in prison. I know, can't nobody tell me anything different. I know I've lived there. Once that trauma takes place, those mindsets are reinforced and, and founded in concrete. It, it, it becomes extremely difficult for reversal to take place. I'm excited about SB1 bill, mental health services. That's what's needed. It's obvious at this point. <laughs> That's what's needed. If we can take just fractions of those huge, enormous sums being spent on putting people in holes and putting people, locking them away from the sun and locking them away from the people who love and care about them the most. If we can come together as a community and show these people who need help that we care about them, I guarantee you that recidivism rates will have no choice but to be reduced because I have abolished it in my own life with the help of people who show care and compassion. And I really want to thank this board for just letting me speak that and get that out. And I hope everybody takes that little nugget home and ponders it for a while. President of the Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus, Nicole Bolden, criticized the committee's conduct during recent meetings, particularly the way Sheriff Ruben Marte and Monroe County Councilmember Jennifer Crossley have been treated. Over the last few months, our organization has watched these proceedings with increasing dismay and frustration. The reason for this frustration has been rooted in the particular treatment of Councilor Jennifer Crossley and Sheriff Ruben Marte. While all of the elected officials in this room have been from time to time treated in a manner that is less than ideal by their colleagues, Councilor Crossley and Sheriff Marte have been the direct recipients of a noticeably high number of sighs, eye rolls, muttered comments, direct disparagement, and cutoff statements. While I hope that it is not the intent of those engaging in this behavior to indicate any bias, the fact remains that the only two elected officials of color in this room have been treated to a high level of disrespect that does not track with the treatment of others in this room. We request that moving forward, 
you treat all of the officials in this room with the respect and shared humanity that we hope you are all capable of. And for those officials in this room who are not on the receiving end of poor behavior, we ask that you say something when you see it happening, rather than remaining silent for the sake of keeping the peace or sticking to parliamentary procedure. Some of you have asked for our support in the past. The way to retain that support is to be an ally to your colleagues. You do not have to agree with their statements, but you do have to refuse to allow them to be treated with disrespect. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Next, the Monroe County Commissioners shared their goals and vision for the committee. Commissioner Julie Thomas said she wants to provide better treatment and reduce recidivism in the criminal justice system. In a nutshell, uh, our goal is to prevent and limit incidents of incarceration. For those who are incarcerated, we want a more humane facility, one that allows for programming and release reentry planning. Uh, speedier judicial processing and treatment is key. Uh, mental health, substance use disorder treatment, um, physical treatment as well. If a person is incarcerated, we want to reduce um, or prevent recidivism, uh, which does require a reform of the criminal justice process. Um, we do want to provide programming and treatment, and we want to ensure that transitional housing is available throughout the community to ensure reentry and success and to prevent recidivism. Uh, we continue uh, to have questions raised. Uh, every question is important, but we have to remain focused on our goal, a speedy, not hasty, but efficient and effective development of a new facility. And it's important that we move forward. And um, Ken Falk has reminded us of this. Um, Sheriff Marte has reminded us of this. Um, he was on the show on, on Friday and, and mentioned this. We need to move forward. That doesn't mean we don't continue to provide our role as landlord um, of the building. It doesn't mean that we, um, that we say, you know, no repairs, no whatever. It, it, it just means that we need to, to get planning and get moving um, in an expeditious, not hasty manner. The CJRC will host their next meeting at 4.30 p.m. on Monday, March 20th. In today's feature report, Bring It On hosts Gloria Howell and Maquiba Reese speak with MCCSC Student Equity Ambassadors Sydney Crossley and JL Davis. Also joining the conversation is Ruth Eit, a concerned citizen who joined the Monroe County branch of the NAACP in 2018. Our guests discuss their work on the recently passed anti-racism policy at the Monroe County Community School Corporation. We turn now to an excerpt from Bring It On. To listen to the full program, visit WFHB.org. My amazing co-anchor, McQuiba Reese, and I'm Gloria Howell, and we're here with um, these amazing, amazing women, Sydney Crossley, J.L. Davis, um, Ruth Eit, who are here um, to talk about the recent, um, we're going to say recent victories with the MCC anti-racism policy. So if you're just joining us, we're talking about 
the policy. We're talking about the process and making that happen. And we're hearing from the folks who are a part of that. So thank you for joining us. Lakuba. Yes, thank you. Yes, I echo and snaps to Black History Month, uh, 365 days. I'm so happy to um, be a part of the um, Women's History Month too. Ruth, I would love to ask you this question, get you on to this, um, bring you into this and unpacking your process, how you navigated this um, as the chairperson for the NAACP slash concerned citizen and how you championed this, uh, whether you like to stay behind the scenes, I like to stay in front, you, the mic was given to you to really allow and support the policy behind the scenes to ensure that there was true like umph to it, right? Like it just needed to get stronger. And so I'm curious about why was it important for the NAACP to get invo involved in this effort alongside alongside students? Well, the students came and spoke to us about their concerns. I think it was in June of last year. And then again, a couple months later. And I think uh, several members started following what was going on. Some people started attending the board meetings. I certainly was motivated and inspired to attend and speak up um, and try and do what I could to help the students. And then as the policy um, was released in December, we had started meeting by then and were hopeful, but um, the students here, as well as some of us who were talking within the NAACP were concerned that the first version was not as strong as it needed to be. And part of the mission of the NAACP is to advance policies and practices. And so this seemed very much in line with what uh, the NAACP is there to do. And I think, um, that's that's the reason it's important, right? And I think it's important for our branch to try and be there as a bridge at times and certainly building on the history of the NAACP as an organization um, that is listened to. And I'm so grateful that the students came and spoke to us. I think if they hadn't, I probably would not have been aware of what was going on within the schools. I don't have kids in school. Um, you know, it's obvious to me when the bus runs late because I see kids standing on this the corner waiting for it. But a lot of these issues that long-term were so much more important are not obvious. So thanks, so many thanks to them. Thank you, Ruth. Um, you mentioned the the NAACP's mission in terms of advancing policies and practices. And so I'm wondering, um, and we know that the, the NAACP, one of the things that the organization called for was um, essentially a stronger policy. And so that meant some, that were implications for the language that was in the policy in terms of how things read. And, and um, because of course that would, have impact on how it was perceived and how it was implemented. Um, so could you say a couple of things about the policy itself in terms of maybe some things that changed, um, some some things that the NAACP called for um, when the, the reading, the, 
the first reading happened or the second reading happened. I can't remember which one, but but when we asked for the, the revisions, can you talk a little bit about some of the changes um, and the content of the policy itself? Sure. And I'll also invite um, JL and Sydney to chime in because part of what our subcommittee tried to do was to make sure that we listened to what they were asking for as those who were kind of in the thick of things and who were experiencing the harm that motivated this work and not to discount what the whole student equity ambassadors came up with. But I think um, obviously a big change was the change from the title from racial equity to anti-racism. And um, I think that sends a much stronger message and commitment on the part of the administration and board to say what needs to be done and not where we hope to be. Um, So I think that was a really critical change. And yeah, um, I think the other area that was so perhaps not Uh, as key to the students, but to me as somebody who's hoping to try and keep an eye on what's going on is the level of accountability and reporting to the board and to the community. So we've learned, you know, that the guidelines as far as those who, who, who do the harm within the schools, that will be coming down the road. That's not part of the policy level. But as far as communication and transparency, um, there are so many competing factors that the administration and the board are trying to deal with in the schools. And I, I don't envy their situation at all, but I think it's so important that this reporting accountability is visible to the community and the community continues to say, this is a priority and don't set it aside while you deal with the buses not running on time or whatever. We have to continue to work on this. And I'm hopeful that some of the um, additional language that was added will make that something that is possible to monitor. And also for the long term, not just depending on the staff who are there now or the board who are there now, but really, this is a long-term challenge um, that, as a community, we need to be aware of and to to get behind. Thank you so much, Ruth, um, especially for bringing up the the changes from the previous policy to where we are now. Because one of the things that I believe was mentioned is that um, how do you co-create with individuals that's already doing the work? Um, and not like take away from that, but how do you advance or um, how do you enhance it? Um, and that was some of the some of the things that I believe was really important and imperative um, working through this process. Like ego is the goal was ego to be out of it. And so I'm curious of how um, the changes of uh, the policy for uh, JL and Sydney. The, uh, the changes of the policy, the terms, how important was that for you all when you saw the final, um, the final drafts uh, sent to uh, MCCSC 
um, and then was uh, approved. So how? Sorry. No, you're fine. I was muted. <laughs> I know you were saying bad. something good. <laughs> um, Sydney, Sabra, and I. We usually do our um, little meetings before the school board meeting at Starbucks. And we were like writing things down on what to say. And um, what we pointed out was that racial equity and anti-racism are very different things. And we really wanted to discuss that, but we only had two minutes. So it was just like, we had to split between each like conversation or like section or topic. And so um, something that really stood out to us the most was the difference between anti-racism and racial equity. And, um, you know, defining racial equity is the process of eliminating racial disparities and improving outcomes for everyone, yes. But it's more of like, we're going to get there. And I feel like anti-racism is more of saying, we need this now. We are against racism, basically. We want to see change. And I feel like that's a way more powerful word than just say, saying racial equity or racial equality, even though those things are very important. So that was one thing that really stood out to me. I love how they took um, our adjustments and listened to us and said, we're gonna add this in there. Um, I really love that. There was a lot of transparency and understanding in the policy. So I'm very excited to see where the guidelines lead us because Obviously, I can see that they're listening now, and that was like very important to me that they were willing to hear us. Thank you, JL. Sydney, kind of continuing along uh, that part of the conversation, you said that JL said that now she she sees that they're listening, right? JL, am I saying that correctly? That they're listening to you. Um, so, Sydney, if you could talk a little bit about what are some things that you want the MCC administration, the school board, um, all these different folks that are sitting in very, very critical seats? What are some things that you want them to know um, or things that you hope that they have learned from this process from start to finish? How do you think, um, what do you want, what do you want to say that are lessons that they have learned about you all? Um, and how to approach things like this in the future? Um, lessons I've learned is that like student, or not that I've learned, but lessons I want them to learn, it's like student voice is really, really critical. I mean, MCCSC board is for students. Like it's about not only students, but it's like, all the MCCS schools have students in them and students are like the biggest part of decisions or ideas that they have and it affects all of us um and like although like we are some of the first students that speak out on things we're not going to be the last there's not going to be like this is like there's not going to be any more students that speak. There's going to be more students that feel the need to speak on topics or things they feel wrong in the school, and they're going to want to talk about this. So we're 
definitely not going to be the last students that have something to say. Um, and I think that like we have done a really good job and I think student voice is like the biggest thing um, or biggest lesson I want them to learn. Up next, we have Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment. Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. Mountain Girl, formerly named Trixie Joe, is a young Great Dane Anatolian shepherd mix currently residing with the City of Bloomington Animal Shelter. She has been very sweet with all of the shelter's staff and quickly became a staff favorite. She can be nervous of loud noises and quick movements. She unfortunately experienced harsh training methods and interactions prior to coming to the shelter, but would do great with someone who understands sensitive dogs that may not have much confidence. She will definitely need a person whom she can look to for guidance. Mountain Girl has a lot of love to give, and with patience and love, there is confidence that she will flourish. If you're interested in adopting today's featured pet, you can learn more at our websites, goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We now turn to this week's featured topic. What is positive reinforcement training? Positive reinforcement training involves rewarding desired behaviors. It's based on apparent conditioning, also known as trial and error learning. According to the American Kennel Club, it's a very effective training method. With dogs, positive reinforcement trainers use things dogs want, such as treats, games, or attention. They mostly deliver that reward, or sometimes take the reward away to discourage unwanted behavior. They don't use unpleasant things a dog would find aversive. Dogs trained with unpleasant actions often associate those elements with the trainer and the training process. This can discourage a dog from training, and it can erode the bond with their trainer. However, a focus on rewards influences dog behavior and teaches dogs to love training. Without fear of doing the wrong thing, a dog can be incentivized to learn. Plus, a dog will associate the trainer with wonderful rewards, 
which strengthens the human-animal bond. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB. Produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 